Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website. That's sumatisparks.com. S is in Sam, U is in Mary. I'm sorry, let me start over. Sumati is S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in Sparks are flying. And when you request a quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list, and you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events and receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So tonight, I'm really excited to have as my guest, Eleanor O'Brien. Eleanor is the artistic director of Dance Naked Productions, a theater company dedicated to creating sex-positive theater. She teaches workshops on the intersection of sexuality and creativity and has recently launched Spinner, a speed dating company for sex-positive people. Welcome to the show, Eleanor. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here. It's so fun. (laughs) (laughs) So great to have you. So excited to get to know you better. I first learned about you when a colleague of ours said, oh, you got to see Eleanor O'Brien's Facebook Live that she did where she was talking about how to, when to remove your mask on a first date. And you did this kind of little strip (laughs) tease with your mask and it was just hilarious and so adorable. (laughs) And I was like, I got to get her on my show. (laughs) That is so funny. That was a spur of the moment thing. Uh, well, have you gone <laughs> on adorable. any uh, dates during the pandemic, and, and have you gone on mask dates with, with people you don't know? Well, that, you know, you could interview me for the whole hour just about that. In fact, <laughs> I was on a podcast recently with Veronica Monet, and she picked my brain about that. So, yeah, I ended a relationship in mid-March, like horrible timing. Oh. <laughs> I've, I've been like the queen and I've been learning about online dating because I always met people at events before. So I've right. had to learn yeah. how to do the app dating thing. And I've been like going at it so I could also teach other people the pitfalls about it. And it's just been crazy. Right. So yeah, I've had quite a few um, social distance first dates and it's a very bizarre thing because it's hard to like get any kind of sense of chemistry when you're like 10 feet apart with a mask on. Oh. <laughs> Right, and you realize how much information you get from people's mouths, and not yeah, being able to see true. mouths is so uh, is so difficult uh, exactly. in, in creating intimacy. Yeah, I had exactly, a date with yeah. a guy who we we smelled each other's necks <laughs> <laughs> with your mask to see if we had any chemistry <laughs> with your mask on. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, we, you, we, so you we tried to get smell each other through your mask? Yeah, yeah. So we got close enough that we could smell that we kept our masks on. Yeah. Oh, my God, it that's was, hilarious. <laughs> it, it was interesting. That's so funny. And the funny thing was is that we ended up being really good friends, but we didn't have romantic oh. chemistry. And that's uh-huh. another thing that I have found interesting about the online dating is that is the only way, really, I have made any new friends during the pandemic. I, you know, I've made online mm-hmm. friends, but, like, the only new people I'm meeting are people that I'm, you know, t- 
taking for a test drive as a potential, you know, romantic partner. So that's the yeah, good point. Anyway, good I don't point. I don't mean to um, jump in and just start <laughs> talking about uh, internet no. dating, but um, oh, it's a but it has it does come up a lot. Topic. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to find out about you, like um, how like, you must have a history of performance, and how did you get into like bringing like sex positivity into performance art? Well, thanks for that question. Uh, I have been making sex positive theater in Portland, where I'm from, since about 2005. And, you know, I would say I fell into it sort of accidentally in that the first solo show that I wrote was about an experience that I had when I was living in New York City, and I had attempted to become a dominatrix. And I was, you know, spoilers, terrible at it. Um, But, you know, it makes for a (laughs) funny story. And I, I wrote this show, GGG, Dominators for Dummies. And as I was touring that show around Canada, mostly uh, through the fringe circuit, I would, I would look for the sex-positive community to, to come see the show. So it started out like sort of almost trying to market to a community. And, uh, and I found FetLife. And FetLife was fascinating to me. And I felt like I learned so much that like there was just so, um, it felt to me like the leading edge in uh, sexual philosophy, you know. And, well, describe uh, what I just, FetLife is for those that might not have heard that. So I think of FetLife as sort of like Facebook for kinky people, you know, where you have a profile <laughs> and you list what you're into and all that kind of thing. And there's different groups. But even more than that, I have found that it has taught me just about the enormous plethora and variety of people's sexuality and eroticism. And it, it stretches my imagination in ways that I don't know that I would have come across any other way. So that's mm-hmm. been really exciting. I love that life. I, you know, I tell everybody about it because I feel like there's really something for everyone. Even if, like when I first discovered it, I would never have called myself kinky. Um, because I, I I thought of kink as being a very limited kind of, you know, you either like to get tied up and spanked or you don't. And <laughs> and it's just, it's so much richer than that. Um, mm. You know, I, I remember coming across somebody's kink once that was uh, called um, Pursuit, Takedown, and Capture. <laughs> and I was mm. like, oh, and it just perked me right up. <laughs> I was like, what, what is this? And and now, you know, every once in a while with my lovers, I'm like, oh, can we play that game? And we have, like, we play chase, you know, where, like, you know, run, chase me around the house and then catch me and then I get away. And then, you know, it's just it's so silly and playful, but it is a freaking turn on, man. I love it. I'm like, oh, now you uh-huh, got me. So, um, so that's that life. Um, so I, that's, that's how I started making shows uh, under the, um, the name Dance Naked Productions. And Dance Naked came about because there was a, a form I was filling out for my first fringe, and you had to say the name of your company. And I was like, uh, uh, well, uh, yeah. And I didn't want to just call it Eleanor O'Brien Company, you know. So I tried to think of the, uh, an image that to me suggested both joy and vulnerability and eroticism. And that's where dance naked came from. And uh, it cost me no end of trouble since then. (laughs) 
all that, you know, what was <laughs> Facebook and censorship and everything. But, but it really, you know, it really does is what I have tried to do is um, I, my ethos is really about putting um, stories on stage that are about finding the joy in sexuality and, and, and the authenticity and the truth and the, um, I, I'm much more focused on the celebration than the trauma uh, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, other people have done the trauma better than I and than I could. And, and I feel really lucky that in my life I have, um, I've had a really healthy relationship with sexuality and I've, I've, uh, I've not experienced much trauma. And so I've been able to, um, you know, really find the joy in it and express that. And, and, and the people who like what I do and follow my stuff seem to really respond to that. Uh, mm-hmm. So so that's what I do. Um, but it's funny, when I look at my life overall, I when I was a kid, really early on, I was in a show called The Jewel Box here in Portland. And it was, a, it was an exploration of a, a gay man's fantasy about reliving his life without shame. And I just happened to be that played his, him as a young, you know, as a young boy. And I was only in one scene, but I got to be around gay men and, and, and get to see this sort of idea, you know, it was very theatrical and stylized, but it was, um, you know, gay men, like almost like they were in the Castro district, you know, and they're wearing leather chaps and rhinestone cock rings and they're, you know, sort of simulating sex. And I would watch that scene from the wings every night and just be riveted by it, just riveted Mm -hmm. and so excited to grow up and be, you know, become a gay man and have sex. And, uh, and then, you know, I, I discovered Armstead Maupin and Tales of the City at a really young age and Mm -hmm. fell in love with that series. And, and in particular, Anna Madrigal, who's the, um, sort of the matriarch of it all. And, and then when I was in, um, uh, high school, I did a show for Planned Parenthood that was um, that was it toured for a year, and it was a show about teen sexuality. And I think that was another seed that got planted about the power of theater to educate. And mm-hmm. so that feels really important to me too. That my shows are not just entertainment. You know that they are uh, they they contain lessons and um, almost like a how to in a way. And I can imagine that they shift paradigms too. That is the goal. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. for sure. Uh-huh. I want people to leave the theater with ideas and, and feeling, I want them to feel changed and, and that there's like, yeah, like whole vistas opening up, which is exciting. Uh-huh. And, and it's also like a big task that I give myself, which is why it's always terrifying to open a new show because, you know, you get to that point where you're like, Oh shit! Is this doing? You know, is it funny? Is it occasional? Is it profoundly moving? Is it going to shift, shift and change people's lives? You know, so. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that does Beautiful. That yeah. Great work! I love that you're. I love that you exist in the world and that your production <laughs> company is there. It's so great because it's it's a unique way to bring that kind of education into the world. Um, so it's wonderful. So, uh, but I'm wondering, like, how did you get involved in, like, what led you to the point where you would call yourself a sex positive person? And um, do you practice ethical non-monogamy? And if so, how did you mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. get to the point where you would, where you could do, do that shame free, like you said in your play. <laughs> Right. Well, it has been a journey for sure, but I feel very lucky that I discovered uh, in my 20s, um, gosh, maybe it was even in my 30s, but uh, um, Susie Bright. And for those mm-hmm. who don't know, Susie Bright is a really um, uh, just a powerful writer, and I, I consider her like a sexual philosopher. So I I read some of her books. She's also the editor of a lot of the um, best sex writing, uh, like best erotica books. And so mm-hmm. I um, I think that that planted a lot of seeds about um, what is what is possible and and the idea. I, my whole life, I have been super curious about sex and really frustrated by the idea that sex sex has to be private and we're not supposed to talk about it. And I think what I loved about eventually having the opportunity to create theater about it was like, oh, you can't stop me. I'm not only going to talk about it. I'm going to put it on stage. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and that felt very, very powerful to do. So, for example, one of my first group shows uh, was a show called Inviting Desire. And it was all about women's sexual fantasies. And I... I did that show largely because I found that I was so scared of desire. Like I felt so much, I, even though I was raised in a pretty sex positive environment by, you know, progressive parents, the idea that somebody would find out that I was attracted to them or I wanted them was hugely embarrassing. And that was such Mm. a strange contradiction in my life. Like, why? Why is it like, you know, when I find out somebody's attracted to me, I'm flattered, right? But, but somehow that, that vulnerability of like that now they had power over me and they could reject mm-hmm. me um, mm-hmm. was just really is something I really wanted to look at. And um, so I made a show called Inviting Desire and it was based originally on um, uh, Nancy Friday's book, My Secret Garden. And I wanted mm-hmm. to turn her, which is a book of women's sexual fantasies, for those who don't know, it came out in the 70s, and it is so hot. Um, <laughs> I read that book for years. It was like uh, my total go-to masturbation material. And so I thought it would make interesting <laughs> monologues to put on stage. And what ended up happening is that all of the women I cast in that show wanted to write their own original piece based on their own experience of desire and um and so that, that's what happened. There were a few pieces in there that were not original. Um, I think in particular Carol Queen has a piece in there, um, or we did a piece based on her uh, story, The Leather Boy, uh, the, or The Leather Daddy. Gosh, I think it's The Leather Daddy and the Dyke or something like that. Anyway, super hot. But, um, but most of them were original. And, uh, and that really taught me something about creativity and sexuality and and the erotic imagination and how fertile it is if you give it space and a a place Mm -hmm. to express which led to kind of the next stage of my career which was doing workshops on sex and creativity but um i don't mean to uh skip over the part of your question about me and ethical non-monogamy and because i and i know that this podcast is really centered on that and i so appreciate that Mm -hmm. because I think we need we need stories uh, about how people are doing it. 
to me, it's mm-hmm. not enough to just read a book sort of of the theory of it. And mm-hmm. when I first right. became open, I really wanted to talk to other people who'd done it. And I wanted to say, okay, mm-hmm. but what about when, and has this happened to you? And so I, I met my husband um, when I moved back to Portland from New York City, where I'd been living to, you know, make it as an actor and finally just realized I hated it. <laughs> and um, I mean, I didn't hate New York City. I love New York City, but I hated trying to um, be an artist in New York City because you're just always scrambling for money, you know. And and I realized if I moved back to Portland, I one, I have a community here. You know, I grew up here. I know people. And, um, and it just was much easier to do what I wanted to do. So mm-hmm. two weeks after I moved back here, I went to a Burning Man decompression party, which I had never been to Burning Man, but um, I figured that's where my people were. And indeed, I met this man, and we had instant sparks, and we, um, we you know, spent the night together that night. And, you know, one of the first things he told me was that <laughs> he was just getting divorced, like, literally that week kind of they had separated Mm -hmm. and and that he really liked me but he wanted to be able to see other people and I had at that point read an ethical slut and so I knew that you know ethical non-monogamy was a thing but I also grew up on a very steady diet of romance novels so (laughs) I had two really keen interests there. I was super interested in this man and um, just, you know, really had that sort of feeling of like falling in love at first sight kind of thing. And, um, and I was, you know, I was willing to try uh, having an open relationship because I'd never done it before and I was curious about it. But I will say that we, we struggled um, because we had that whole, um, NRE thing going on, right? Like when we first met, we were just super into each other. So even though he told me he wanted to be open, I sort of heard it and went, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, someday we'll do that. And mm-hmm. and then, you know, when he actually attempted to go on a date a year or so into our relationship, I had one of those moments of, how could you possibly do such a thing to me? <laughs> and, and the one and only time in my life I threw a glass not at uh, him by the way I just threw the glass yes and it shattered in the kitchen and I went oh shit now I'm gonna have to clean that up <laughs> but I did have the understanding of why people do it because I was just sort of like like you know enraged in that moment and then I went back and got to look at hey why is this so triggering and uh-huh you know, all of the issues around um, opening a relationship. And we went to a therapist uh, before we ever opened our relationship and talked. And and we, you know, it's funny, I listened to Victor's uh, interview that you did a couple weeks ago, and I so appreciated what he said about taking it slow, you know, that when you do something mm-hmm. quickly, you're, it's almost like your nervous system can't catch up. And... Mm-hmm. I feel like that was something that we did in our relationship was talked about it and then sort of baby stepped into it. And for sure there was a, you know, a, a fair amount of my, what I, what I recognize now and even somewhat then as making him wrong 
for wanting it, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and finding sort of subtle ways to punish him when he would try to open our relationship. And, um, and that was part of it too, you know, me looking at my own behavior. And that was really one of the reasons that I wrote the show Lust and Marriage, because I wanted to explore my experience with jealousy and, and also a desire for freedom. And, you know, cause I, we had had what I think is a very classic beginner's mistake of you can have sex with other people, but you can't fall in love mm-hmm. with other people. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, and sure enough, you know, as soon as I fell in love with somebody else, I was like, well, let's revisit that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, you and, said and, a lot there yeah. and there. There's yeah. some things I, yeah, I want to unpack a little bit. Um, yeah. No, I love hearing your story. It's great. And I agree with you that we need to hear other stories and we, we need to have community to normalize this lifestyle mm-hmm. because the greater society doesn't have our backs. You know, there's yeah. so much judgment. And any time you see an article online about polyamory, just look at the comments and you'll see the vitriol yeah. and the religion yeah. and all the like hatred toward the people. Like they're destroying the very fabric of society <laughs> by having more than one lover. You know? I know that's why we don't read the comments anymore. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but you know, I love that you had read the ethical slut because that gave you, cause I always tell my clients, like you have to start with at least an intellectual understanding of this because your emotions are going to, we have such deep programming in the mononormative mm-hmm. culture. And the programming is going to take over and you're going to, like you said, you know, how could you do this to me? Like, am I not enough? Like, why would you want to be with someone else? All those stories that are based in yeah. programming. And so if we can start with an intellectual understanding so that we can catch ourselves when the programming takes over absolutely you know, we can say okay you can witness yourself and go okay there's the programming i'm acting out right now let me go back and read that chapter again that i read last week you know? so at least you yeah. can start to catch yourself and not like act out on the other person you know as long as we can like own our stuff as we're growing and learning and not blame the other person you know then we have a chance to grow and eventually get to where you're not throwing glasses across the room <laughs> Yes, it's so huge. It really is like looking at, okay, is this really my belief? And where does this come from? And, you know, okay, I have an emotional reaction. And what is my intellectual reaction? And and finding out how to sort of satisfy both, you know. That was the thing is like, I felt like, in, yeah, intellectually for a long time, I'm like, okay, I get it. But then mm-hmm. it didn't actually help the feelings of jealousy that came up until I, you know, I, it was, it was almost like, you know, dealing with jealousy is also a muscle. It's also a practice, you know, and, and you just, you, you do get better at it and you gain skills Mm -hmm. to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's the question I get asked most often. Um, You know, when people find out that I'm non-monogamous, well, don't you get jealous? And so there's kind of an assumption in that question that we're supposed to do everything we can to avoid ever feeling jealous. <laughs> and right. so if you right. just 
shift their paradigm and say, yeah, I get jealous. And sometimes when I'm speaking at a, an, a polyamory conference, I'll wear a button that says I'm jealous because <laughs> like, just because I'm a polyamory teacher doesn't mean I don't sometimes feel jealous. So it's a good conversation totally. starter around, yeah, you just get better at dancing with your jealousy and owning it. Um, instead mm-hmm. of making, so it's not my partner's job to keep me from feeling jealous. My jealousy is my own, and I get to dig yeah. deeper and find out what's underneath it. Like, what's what are the beliefs and patterns that are underneath the jealousy? So you said that you, right. you created a show about jealousy, exploring jealousy. Yeah. So the show uh, Lust in Marriage was about it was about, uh, and I think of it as a polyamorous love story is what I called it for a long time, mm-hmm. and. It was about meeting my husband and having this just, you know, sparks fly and, you know, and and I I fictionalize it somewhat, which was the first show where I fictionalized it. Uh, So I had a meeting at Burning Man, which is a more theatrical thing than meeting at a Burning Man decompression party and and Mm. having this sort of magical week together of discovering Burning Man and, and then finding out that he's non-monogamous and, you know, what do I do with that? And I'm already in, and I thought we were soulmates. And, um, and so it's really the story of how did we open our relationship? And so you hear from his point of view, because I like to play different characters. So I play him. Uh, And Mm. he, he talks about um, reading a stranger in a strange land and getting that mm-hmm. sense of why do we need to own each other? And human beings aren't, mm-hmm. you know, we don't, we don't own one another. And, um, and so the seeds are planted. And, and the fun thing that, through that whole show is I write to Dan Savage, you know, and he writes back, which I totally cribbed from letters that he wrote uh, to different, you know, people throughout the years uh, and changed them somewhat. And I do have Dan's blessing. I wrote to him about the show and, and he recorded a little piece for me actually. Um, but during the course of that story, I, um, I meet another man and fall in love with him, which challenges my whole paradigm of what does it mean to have a soulmate? Like do you only get one, you know, or is it possible to have more than one soulmate? And, and when I first started writing that show, Sumati, I, um, you know, I felt very uh, like it's 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 got to have a happy ending, right? She, mm-hmm. she, this character, I call myself Emily. She has a husband, she has a boyfriend, and she learns to have compersion, and uh, you know, and they get along with each other, and everybody respects each other, and all is well. The end. And what happened was through the course of so. I uh, I took that show on tour in 2015, and during the course of my tour, which is a five month tour, my my marriage pretty much ended, and mm. and it didn't end because of polyamory. You know, it ended mm-hmm. because my husband wasn't particularly interested in who I was, and that's a whole other story. Um, but the, the truth is, is like I I think. I think that relationships come to an end um, or at least a form mm-hmm. of them comes to an end and that it, that mm-hmm. doesn't need to have um, tragedy attached to it. It didn't feel tragic right. to me that my marriage ended. We're still very good friends. I love him very much. He'll always be my family. But I realized I really wanted to be in partnership with somebody who 
who I could talk to. And, and that was no longer possible really in my marriage. And so the story, as, as I toured it, it, it started to change and it became much more ambiguous about what happens to Emily at the end and these two relationships, because both of the people in the relationship that she's in, both her, her husband and her boyfriend, you know, end up having other relationships and how does she deal with mm-hmm. that? And, you know, mm-hmm. so it, it, it actually, it got much more real in a way. And mm-hmm. I, I decided mm-hmm. I had to be comfortable with leaving the ending and unknown. Mm-hmm. And that was hard because I liked the tying it up in this beautiful little bow, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I decided that I wasn't responsible for having a polyamorous love story where nothing, uh, you know, where there's a happy ending, that there is mm-hmm. really right. no ending to our stories, right? They go on. Exactly. Well, thank you for that. It's great. Um, so if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. We're speaking with Eleanor O'Brien, the founder of Dance Naked Productions, a sex-positive theater production company. And we're talking about all kinds of things, creativity, sex positivity, ethical non-monogamy. If you'd like to ask Eleanor any questions, please feel free to call in. The number is 657-383-1132. And you'll be put on hold, and we'll answer your call at the right time. So don't worry about interrupting us. Again, the number is 657-383-1132. So um, a couple other things that you said, Eleanor, that I wanted to bring up again was you talked about the nervous system and going slow. And a lot of Mm -hmm. times my clients, like when they first start getting into opening their relationship and opening a pre-existing relationship, they have this fantasy that, like, overnight their partner's going to have five other partners. And, you know, how are they going to deal with mm-hmm. all this? And I just keep reminding them, like, you just take one step at a time and you come back and you talk about how that was. And you mm-hmm. see if you need to make any adjustments. Because oftentimes we don't know what we need until we get out there and mix it up and try it and see totally. how that feels. So did you and your yeah. husband have experiences of like trying something and then kind of coming back and go, no, wait, I need to make a little adapt- adaptation here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, you know, at first it's all theoretical and it's, it's easy to want to cling to the rules, right? Like, well, these mm-hmm. are the rules we made. And, you know, I remember, um, getting very upset with him because he had had oral sex with somebody, a woman, mm-hmm. and he hadn't used a dental dam. Mm-hmm. And we hadn't really talked about dental dams, but we had talked about being fluid bonded. So, you know, I think in his mind that meant we used condoms with other people. And, right. and I managed to make it his, like, he got in the doghouse. Because, yeah, it's not just condoms, buddy boy. You have to use temple stamps, too. And, <laughs> and it, was, it was like this opportunity for me to be righteous, you know, which, which feels good. You've hurt me, and I'm, you know. Uh, and so that was, like, one that I really had to work through and unpack. Like, okay, if you wanted him to use dental dams, 
uh, one, did you ever say that? And two, mm-hmm. do you even know where to get them? Like, <laughs> I mean, what do you actually know? The poor man to stop at his them. dentist. Right. You know, but I, I had to really, you know, work through, okay, this is just another way in which you make him wrong um, to make yourself yeah, I'm feel glad, better. I'm glad you, yeah, I'm glad you said that because I do see that a lot where, and I've done it too, where we make it about the agreement mm-hmm. instead of about the feelings that are underneath the supposed broken agreement. So sometimes mm-hmm. we avoid the painful feelings and we, we're, it's just much easier to just say, you broke the agreement, you're bad. And then we avoid yeah. that whole exploration of like, well, why did the broker feel bad to you? And, and you know, right. or did it even feel bad? Maybe, maybe the broken agreement didn't even hurt at all and you're just wanting to make me bad for no reason. So I, 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 yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot too many that. agreements. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, actually, it's funny. You know, a friend of mine at one point said she didn't believe in agreements, and I remember being like, mm-hmm. "Well, you're clearly an idiot, and you're doing Polly wrong because <laughs> it's important to have agreements." But in subsequent years, I have kind of come to understand, like, oh, sometimes you can't really have agreements because you don't know what's going to come up that, and and whether it's going to yeah, feel bad or good or whatever. And and the funny thing was, as soon as I had, you know, a lover and I was having oral sex with him and I equated like me making him wear a condom during oral sex, I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's not something I'm going to do. And look at me with my, <laughs> with my agreements and my rules, uh, you know, that we're really just in place for the, because I wanted to get upset about something. I mean, mm-hmm. it, and yeah, so I think, I think you're so right. Like when I really thought about, do I need him to have a dental dam? Do I really believe that there's such a high, you know, like what, what, where did that come from? Do, is it, is I, my, I'm really afraid of oral sex and getting a, an STI from that. Or is it the, the level of intimacy that I'm scared of? Um, you know, what, what is that? And, mm-hmm. and what can I ask for that would make me feel better about mm-hmm. that experience? Um, exactly. Because that's the next step is to identify, you know, how you're, how you're feeling about something and, and like process the feelings with a supportive friend or coach or therapist or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then come to terms with what you might need to ask for to make mm-hmm. a request and not just assume that your partner is going to know what you need. Yeah. Oh, so important. Yeah. Especially, yeah. you know, um, um, and, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say another thing that you talked about that I wanted to touch on was uh, I just got a new client this week who, you know, fooled around and fell in love. <laughs> so it was a couple mm-hmm. And they were swinging, you know, they were in the lifestyle, okay? Mm-hmm. And they were just going to do sex and nothing more. And then one of the people fell in love with their, their playmate. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, they're, you know, on, the, on, the, on Zoom with me going, okay, this wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> so, um, yep. you know, when we, yep. bond, when we bond with people physically, 
you know, we can't like cut our heart out and pretend it's not there. Um, you know, it, it often shows up and we, we get surprised by the bonds and the connections that happen. But I think our society like has found a way to accept swinging a little more easily than polyamory. Um, because with this new client, we talked about how everybody in her lifestyle community just thinks she's an alien because she now loves one of her playmates. So they just look at her like, oh, my God, how did you do that? Well, they're over here having, like, completely recreational sex with all these people, but they think she's weird for loving somebody. So it seems really twisted to me. But, like, for some reason, our society has come to, like, accept no-strings-attached sex. But mm. when there's love involved, some for some reason, our, our default culture sees that as, like, destructive to relationships or something like that. It's just very odd to me. What are your thoughts about that? It is that? so strange. Well, well, what I've come to learn, it, it's interesting about swingers. Um, I, like, I, I think I have the almost opposite uh, like I, I find the whole swinging phenomenon just bizarre, and I really have right. tried to um, to understand it. Um, and I've I've had fascinating conversations with swingers and people in the lifestyle. I, I've had the opportunity to perform for some swinger groups, and and, and so I, I once got to have a conversation with a man who was 83. And, uh, and his wife was in her 70s, and they had been swingers for over 40 years. And, wow. And what I realized, yeah, and they, and they had a friend group that were all swingers, and they met a couple of times a year and had these parties. And, and I realized that I think that there are some people, and we're all just made, you know, differently, right? And there are some people who can really handle what I call sport fucking, like mm-hmm. it's fucking that feels good, and you know you get off hopefully, um, and you don't have any emotional attachment to the person that you're fucking, mm-hmm. and you don't particularly want mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. I think that's all well and good, but not not everybody's made that way, right? And mm-hmm. and so you know I think the the rise of these terms like um, demisexual and um, uh, are, are helpful to understand like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm a person who needs to feel love or like, you know, connection mm-hmm. before I have sex. And I just heard mm-hmm. a new one that I thought was interesting, a woman who described herself as megasexual, which is I need mm-hmm. to have sex with somebody before I feel love for them. And right. I, I just think that, you know, personally, I am the kind of person that my my body wants to form uh, attachments to people. I, if I have sex with somebody, um, I generally, I want to love them. Now, I don't necessarily mm-hmm. want to be in a committed relationship, but I really want to feel love for them. I want to like them. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to mm-hmm. want to do things with them besides just have sex with them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm not a good candidate for, you know, if I'm in a monogamous relationship having sex with other people because I think that is going to happen. And mm-hmm. I think it's something important to look at, you know, like for your couple that your your clients, um, you know, is it is it smart to try to have a, a swinging relationship if you know that about yourself? And 
knowing mm-hmm. that about yourself, you know, can you build in some potential for that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think people don't like, often know until they do it. They think they're going to be able to just have sex, and then the next thing mm-hmm. you know, they're surprised. They're still yeah. in love for this person. Yeah, mm-hmm. and similarly, um, you know, couples open their relationship and they try, you know, a few different things and they find that they each like completely different things. Like I had a, a partner who wanted to go all these swinger parties and I just wasn't into it. I wanted like one other deep love relationship, but I would go with mm-hmm. him to the swinger parties so he could be gender balanced. And then I, you know, he'd play with the wives and I would just pop the men. Like, so I didn't have to have sex with them. I just start <laughs> bossing them around and... <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah I've been there too. Same to thing. The, yeah, they were just happy to have the attention at all. And then that would, you know, our agreement was that I could go have this other relationship. And when we broke up, he said to me, at least I didn't love any of the people I had sex with. Like, I'm <laughs> making me wrong. <laughs> you know? Oh, how funny. Like, that was somehow superior. Yeah. He yeah, was superior you know, because just... he didn't love the people he fucked, yeah. And so you often right. don't know, like once you open an existing relationship, you often don't know that you may have different ways of expressing non-monogamy and they may not be the same. Yeah, yeah, that is a risk. It is a risk. I, uh, the ending of my show, uh, Lust in Marriage, for a long time I had a really hard time ending it. I really struggled um, with what do I want to say. And then I had an ayahuasca experience. And um, for those of uh, your audience who don't know, ayahuasca is a plant medicine that comes out of uh, South America and is grown in different tropical places around the world. But it, for me, uh, is a wisdom experience. Like I, every time I've done ayahuasca, I have asked for wisdom. Um, and so that, and that was my first time doing it. And I didn't have a particularly, um, psychedelic experience I didn't see visions I got downloads of okay in this situation do this in this situation do this like it felt very almost cut and dried it was fascinating I did have uh, and I didn't throw up uh, which is often a, a side effect of ayahuasca but I did have the experience of my body shaking and I and because I'm an ecstatic dancer I wasn't scared of that um, I just went mm-hmm. into it and I shook and I shook and I shook and when I came out of the shaking, I was in a forest. Hmm. And I, I could see in the, in the clearing ahead of me that there was a field. And I moved towards this field, and it was this beautiful, bright, sunny day. And then snow started falling, and everything was covered in snow. And, and there was this stump in the middle of the field, and I kept moving towards the stump. And I finally make it to the stump, and the sun comes out again, and all the snow melts. And I have to tell you, I was cognizant enough in this ayahuasca experience to be like, what the fuck does this stump mean? Like, why am I getting this stump? Mm-hmm. Why, is, why am I not getting a tree? I don't get it. What am I supposed to take away <laughs> from this? And I lie on the stump and I take my clothes off and I'm lying in the sun naked. And I realize that for me, and, you know, everybody's metaphor is going to be different, but for me, I realized that this rule that I had made cutting uh, about that you could only have sex with somebody you couldn't fall in love was cutting my husband off from parts of himself. Mm. And, and that 
what I wanted was to be married to somebody who was whole, and I wanted to be whole. And mm-hmm. our sexuality and our emotional selves are part of that wholeness. So, so to try mm-hmm. to separate out, you know, that there's a sexual part of myself that goes off to swinger parties and I, you know, but then comes home and I put that away in a box. I just didn't feel good about that anymore. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I feel like I had done him a disservice and I had done, I had done damage to his psyche to try to expect that from him. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I struggle with that endorsement of, um, of like that, you know, I mean, I do think there's people that can do it, but I think it's taking a big risk. The idea that you can have mm-hmm. sex without emotional connection. And I think really better yeah. to figure out what are you going to do when it does happen? Um, right. You know, is so to be prepared for that, that, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Like to talk so about for what, me, what, I think what would what happen I if that need, does happen. Yeah. yeah, it's like I need reassurance. I need reassurance of, like if I'm in a pair-bonded relationship, you know, the, I, 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 I feel like what I need is my partner to reassure me, like, okay, even if I love somebody else, I still want to be with you in this form of relationship, mm-hmm. you know, that we're committed mm-hmm. to each other in these ways. And uh, and if as long as I get enough of that reassurance, I'm okay. Right, that's very common to to need that reassurance and to feel like you know as long as I'm getting enough, you know, connection and sex and mm-hmm. yumminess and that your other relationships are enhancing our relationship and not detracting exactly. from it, then it can really work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, hey, I'm going to shift the the topic a little bit to your. Um, you know, we're in this very odd time uh, with the pandemic mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's been relatively challenging meeting new people, especially if you're not monogamous. And it looks like you are embarking on a really interesting project called Spinner, a speed dating company for sex positive people. So I'm assuming that this is going to be virtual um, and I'd love yeah. to hear more about it with a little bit of time we have left. You bet. So I am an introvert. And uh, which surprises some people because I can be very extroverted. But one of the things that really terrifies me is having one-on-one conversations. And it's something mm-hmm. I work at. Uh, I'm doing it right now. But, uh, <laughs> but I have this fear that I'm going to run out of things to talk about and that we're just going to sit there in dumb silence looking at one another and it's going to be incredibly <laughs> awkward. And so... <laughs> For me, I've always had this fantasy, or maybe not always, but for like the last five years or so, I have fantasized about something called spinner, where you get spun into a configuration with somebody, uh, ideally somebody that you're attracted to or interested in, and you're given your time frame and you're given your questions. Mm. And so at the beginning of the pandemic, I got to do a, an event with the Bonobos out of uh, the Bay Area, and it was a, a like a, it was like a meet and greet, you know. And and the Bonobos are a, a community of sex positive people, and and I just loved it because they mm-hmm. used a, an app called Icebreaker, where you mm-hmm. you you know get to see how long of a time you have with somebody, and you have questions. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, this is the this is the platform that I needed to create this thing called Spinner. Mm-hmm. 
So Mm -hmm. I started experimenting. Um, And the first ones that I did spins, I, uh, you know, I just use icebreaker. And then I realized sort of the limitations of that platform, because partly what I also want to do is create community and have a way Mm -hmm. for people to, if they do connect, how can they find each other again? And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I started using a combination actually of zoom and icebreaker so that we can have, Mm -hmm. um, small group conversations and Mm one-on-one conversations. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's been really working well, actually. Um, So I started doing, gosh, I I did events um, in the spring and then I took the summer off to really learn how to be a virtual facilitator, which is different Mm -hmm. than a real, you know, in the flesh facilitator. I wanted to be good at Zoom. I wanted to be, you know, Um, I wanted to have a sense of how to create intimacy online when we're in these weird little boxes. And so Mm -hmm. I took a bunch of classes. And then in the fall, I started um, doing more spins and and taking a lot of feedback, like what worked for people, what didn't work for people, um, trying new things, uh, doing things where I had the group conversation to be about sex, but the one-on-ones weren't and vice versa, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So I just did a lot of experimenting. And, uh, and one of the funny things that has come out of it is uh, that I feel like I'm, I'm really good at hosting parties online now. Like I have a lot of great games Mm -hmm. that I know a lot of ways to help people mix and feel comfortable. Um, And I took, I took the holidays off from doing spins. I had a, a, somebody in my life who really needed me. And um, so I've just gotten back to it actually. And, and I think part of the other thing is, is I thought that when I did spins, I had to do them every weekend and I had to have like a, you know, a cadence that was very regular if people were going to do it. And recently I just had a conversation with Reed Mahalko and I said, I've been resistant to setting up spins again because, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. And, and I had been running them um, sometimes by donation and I wasn't making a lot of money. And I was like, you know, it's just sort of exhausting. And he said, you know, you can just do it when you want. You don't have to do it every weekend. And I thought, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so actually just today I, I launched a spin uh, for um, the 13th of February for what I call um, Het Poly. So there's gender matching mm-hmm. between men and women, and it's for people who, you know, are identify as somewhat ethically non-monogamous. And then I'm doing an open spin on um, on Valentine's Day for anyone around the world that is in any sex-positive community. Uh, and we'll see how that goes. I've been doing those for body storytelling, and that's been really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's an experiment to see how it goes. Because, you know, any time you mm-hmm. talk about sex, you know, it involves some risk, right? You're going to get people who are potentially going to get triggered. So I've really been doing my best to try to figure out how to, um, what's the word, screen people. So I ask ask three questions of everybody who comes into a spin. Um, One is, are you an anti-racist? Because I feel like that eliminates a whole swath of people because, you know, if you start to argue with me about whether or not Black Lives Matter, I'm like, okay, this is not the group for you. Um, right. And then I ask, do you identify as feminist? And I do that because I feel like it's really important that um, we have people who believe in gender equality and that, you know, women have gotten the shaft for thousands of years. So, yeah, this is mm-hmm. an event run by a woman, you know, <laughs> that's a problem for mm-hmm. you. 
probably not your event, you know. And then mm-hmm. lastly, I say, are you sex positive and are you comfortable talking about sex? So that people know that while the, that we're not just talking about sex, there will be questions about sex. And, you know, you, you know, I try to make it very clear, like, you can pass on any question. You know, you, 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 the number one thing is really listening to your body and taking care of yourself. But there are going to be questions about sexuality. And if that's a problem, this is probably not the event for you, you know. So, mm-hmm. Right, right. Those are so, great so questions. Far, that's been, awesome. It's been pretty successful. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. That sounds really great. Well, I'm going to talk to you more about it offline because I think it's really needed for, especially during these times of having no live events, there's just a Mm -hmm. lot of non-monogamous people who are suffering with single people not being able to meet anyone or people that are used to, Mm -hmm. you know, thriving from having multiple relationships and they've just had one. So I think that's really needed. So I'm really glad you're doing that. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, me too. And so, I think um, that, you yeah. know, the thing that's nice is, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say that I feel like what the pandemic has allowed us to do is create almost like new uh, forms of relationship. Like for I, for a long mm-hmm. time, I had an erotic uh, pen pal and me and this man just wrote each other and it was so hot, you know, and it didn't, mm. it didn't really, you know, affect my in real life, COVID monogamous relationship, uh, other than to kind of enhance it, you know, and I was very honest about it. Like I am having this other, you know, online relationship, but I will be COVID monogamous with you for right now. Right. Uh, you know, and it's, it's sort of a category that hasn't really existed before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, um, we're almost out of time, and I, I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you if they would like to, and what else do you want to offer people that are listening, if there's anything that you want to offer well, people. Well, thanks, so I so appreciate it. So what has really sustained me uh, through this pandemic is that I have a Patreon, and it is, it is so exciting because for the first time in my life as an artist, I am being supported by a large number of people. Like right now I have 180 mm-hmm. patrons and wow, you know, people give anywhere from, oh, it's, it's just a game changer. And people give anywhere from a dollar a month to $50 a month. And well, actually I have one guy who does a hundred dollars a month, but, um, and that is really allowing me to keep creating art, even though I can't tour mm-hmm. and I can't perform. I, um, one mm-hmm. of the things I'm learning right now is, um, how to use, uh, I, I'm learning a software called Ecamm live. So, cause I want to create a live show. And mm-hmm. so I'm learning how to like be my own stage manager, you know, and add in titles and all kinds of stuff. So, I, I do a lot of sharing on my Patreon and people can, um, the thing about my Patreon is it's behind an adult firewall. So you can't just put in dance naked productions or my name. You have to Google Eleanor O'Brien dance naked productions, Patreon, and then you can get the link. Uh, it's Patreon backslash dance naked, but um, it's sometimes easier to just Google and then type all that in. Um, but that's, that's, that's kept me really uh, erotically alive. Like I feel like I'm always mm-hmm. challenged with my Patreon to create new things, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's one way. Then I have a website, which is dancenakedproductions.com, and you can go there and sign up for my newsletter. And I send out a newsletter mm-hmm. that lets people know about what's coming up. 
uh, and that's free, and it's full of <laughs> full of TMI and naked pictures. So you know, be warned. Um, <laughs> I do try to make them uh, relevant and tasteful, but I, you know, I I love that I have places in my life where I can share naked pictures and uh, stories about my erotic life because you know, on social media, that's really being squeezed and clamped down on. Right. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, Facebook and Instagram and all of that, um, I, I have to censor myself so much. So I, that's what I love about both my, my website, my Patreon is that that those are places I feel like I can be much more free. And, uh, mm-hmm. but I am on Instagram. Um, so I'm at dance naked productions. I'm on Facebook, dance naked productions. Um, I'm on there as Eleanor Kathleen O'Brien. I don't tend to friend people I haven't met. Uh, so that that gives me a little bit of a firewall kind of for myself on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you write me a message saying, you know, why do you want to be friends? Then I'll, I, I'm, I'm pretty democratic about that. Um, cool. But otherwise, yeah. So remind us how to find your, remind us how to find your Patreon again. So it's Patreon which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N backslash dance, you can Google Patreon plus Dance Naked and then find the link. Because it's adult content, uh, you can't go on Patreon itself and just search for Dance Naked. Got it. So that's, Got it. That's okay, great. Good to know. Children. <laughs> right, right. No, I love that there's a way for us to support artists during this time since there's no live events. So, I'm really happy that you're getting people and hopefully you'll get a few more through this, this show. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's huge. It's really, um, I, I've really enjoyed supporting other artists as well because I feel like, you know, you get this sort of inside scoop on who they are. And once you're supporting somebody, like if somebody's supporting me, even at the dollar level, I'm so much more likely to respond to their messages as opposed to just, you know, exactly. through Facebook or messenger. And I just have, you know, people saying, Hey, can you, point me in the direction of, you know, how to be a better poly person. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> I don't really want to take the time to write out, here's what you do, you know, but if you're my Patreon, right. But I'm, I'm so much more willing <laughs> if I've got your support too. So, um, and I'm really glad to know about you because people do ask me quite a bit, like, who do you recommend uh, in terms of right, right. A, a poly coach or counselor? So. I'll send folks your way too. Okay, well, I'm afraid we're already out of time. I told you it was going to go by fast. (laughs) (laughs) So fast. Thank you so much much for being with me, Eleanor. It was just a delight getting to know you, and I wish you all the best with your um, all of your art that you're doing, and keep it up, keep it going. Will do. Will do. Take care of yourself. Bye, everybody. Okay. Bye. Okay, well, thanks, everybody, for coming to the, listening to the show tonight. Next week, I'm going to have as my guest Mason Luke, who is a sex toy consultant and sex educator. So you'll learn about what a sex toy consultant does. So join us next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time for Leading Edge Love Radio. Have a good evening. Bye-bye.